their rights before the Most High. To deprive them of justice would not the Lord see such things. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come. Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. You have made us scum and refused among the nations. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My eyes will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. What I see brings grief to my soul because of all the women of my city. Those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit and threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to perish. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you and you said, do not fear. You, Lord, took up my case. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me. While my enemies whisper and mutter against me all day long. Look at them, sitting or standing. They mock me in their songs. Pay them back what they deserve, Lord, for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, Lord, we pray openly that we would see Christ, that we, we would see how you work in those times of darkness and how you work in our grief and despair. Lord, please be with me as I proclaim your word this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each of us respond to grief differently. I think very broadly speaking, there are two types of people. Those that will take more, can I say, an active approach in dealing with grief. And those that will take a more passive approach. As some of us here will be like our abandoned widow, who will take a very active approach in expressing our grief. Our grief will be seen. People will see that we are downcast. People will see that we are suffering. People will see that we are looking for help and perhaps continually seeking help until we find ultimately God. And others will be more passive. We will almost submit to our grief. Uh, we will sit in our grief and deal with our grief introspectively, reflecting on our circumstances and analyzing what has happened and just sitting with our pains and hurts until we get to a place where God will awaken us to our plight and bring us to a place where we can hope and trust in Him. 
uh, the book of Lamentations gives us varying perspectives on how we deal with grief. For we all deal with grief differently. As I think of how I deal with grief, I'm much more like the afflicted man we find here in Lamentations 3. I like to sink into my thoughts and think. In periods of grief or hardship, I will internalize what I am going through. I will wrestle with my thoughts and feelings. We see this type of person also in Job, don't we? After the loss of his wealth, after the loss of his family, he just sat next to his friends for a whole week. Just sat in silence, internalizing his thoughts and his feelings before he was ready to speak. Friends, Lamentations is a book that gives us five chapters on lament. Five poems on how to deal with grief given from five different viewpoints. These poems are the raw emotional words of those survivors after the destruction of Jerusalem. And these words are also the theological words and how we express our grief to God. And here in the midst of these poems, we are called to turn to God. And here in particular, in chapter 3, we are told to turn to God to find hope in Him. And that's ultimately our take-home message for today. That in the midst of our afflictions, our hope is in the Lord. In the midst of our afflictions, our hope is in the Lord. Today we'll be looking at the afflicted man from Lamentations 3, and I have three points that I'll be working from. Point one, the afflicted man's helplessness. The afflicted man's helplessness. Point two, the afflicted man's hope. The afflicted man's hope. And point three, the afflicted man holds fast. The afflicted man holds fast. Let's have a look at that first point together. Point number one, the afflicted man's helplessness. Here in verse one, we meet our afflicted man. Look what he says. I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. In the next 17 verses, our afflicted man then recounts the ordeal that he has gone through at the hands of the Lord. And in a nutshell, he tells us what the Lord has done to him. Firstly, it is the Lord who has attacked him. We see examples of this in verse 1 to 3 and then verse 10 to 12. That the Lord's hand was against him all day long. That the Lord came for him like a bear, like a lion. And by him, by the Lord, he was attacked. He was mangled. And second, it is the Lord who has broken him. We see examples of this in verse 4 to 6, and then again in verse 13 to 15. That our afflicted man was attacked relentlessly. Verse 4 tells us that his skin and his flesh have become old, and his bones are broken. Verse 13 says his heart was pierced with arrows. Literally, this is saying arrows have penetrated my inner being. This is trying to communicate that not only has our man been broken on the outside, his skin and bones, but his insights, his resolves, his emotional and mental strength is spent. And thirdly, our afflicted man tells us that it is the Lord who has abandoned him. The Lord has abandoned him. We see this in verses 7 to 9 and 16 to 18. Let me just read verse 17 and 18 for us which says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, 
my splendor is gone, and all that I'd hoped from the Lord. Our friends, the abandonment here is much more than just being left outside in the cold. What our man is trying to tell us is that he is trapped. He is enclosed with no hope and no escape. Our friends, do we hear the man's helplessness in these 18 verses? He is bringing to us an honest cry of a hurting heart as he wrestles with the destruction of Jerusalem at the hand of God. And it is being expressed to us as personal pains of being attacked, broken, and abandoned by God. He grieves that God has left his people, that God has destroyed his people. And such an experience has left him broken. As I read these laments, I feel as if I'm descending down a spiral, down a spiral of despair. And strangely, I can't help but think of a scene of torture. And I think in particular of those prisoners of war, where sometimes in the midst of their interrogations, they would be beaten, they would be tortured, deprived of sleep, bombarded with strong light and screeching sound, brought to a place ultimately where they would break. I see that man here before us. He describes his peril that he has experienced by the hand of God. God's hand has been against him and he's about to break. He says here in verse 19 and 20, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Our afflicted man recalls all that he has gone through. The famine, the diseases, the destruction, the death, the exile, and it appears that he is about to reach the end of the spiral. The point where helplessness just becomes too overwhelming, where it overtakes us and we're about to break. Have you ever got to that point where you see the darkness closing in? After serious loss, whether that's perhaps financial loss, separation from a loved one, or the death of someone special, that you were so overwhelmed with grief that you didn't know where to go. You just felt the darkness coming in, the chains of your imprisonment getting heavier, and the separation from God just intensifying. Can I comfort you and say, in your grief, you are not alone. Our afflicted man gives us words to bring before God. Pain-filled words that we can say when we feel the darkness overtaking us. Our man is telling us that he has walked this dark path before. And on this journey, he has found a way out. The question is, in the midst of being in darkness, where is the way out? In the midst of a helpless state, where do we find a ray of hope? Our abandoned window in Lamentations 1 taught us not to find comfort in the things of this world, to find comfort in idols, because the comfort found in these things are just empty promises. Empty promises that will not heal. Empty promises that will not restore. 
as the darkness closes in on our afflicted man, as he sits in darkness and wrestles with his thoughts, a ray of sunshine appears to break through. As the dark storm has nearly consumed this man, a burst of sunlight breaks through those dark clouds. And a slow ray of warmth that had not been felt in so long rests upon him. And this leads us to our second point, the afflicted man's hope. Our afflicted man is at his breaking point and he's about to be consumed, given into the onslaught of his punishment. And then something causes him to keep going. A ray of sunshine appears in the midst of those dark clouds and the afflicted man remembers God. He remembers God's mercies. The afflicted man's hope in the darkness, that ray of sunshine, is God. The question is, how did God bring hope to our afflicted man as he was surrounded in darkness? One commentator suggests that hope appeared at verse 18 with the first mention of God's covenant name. Uh, looking through our text, we may see at verse 1 God's covenant name mentioned. However, in the Hebrew, God's covenant name does not appear until verse 18. So far, afflicted man has shared what God has done to him. And throughout these verses, God has been distant. But at verse 18, when he says, my hope from the Lord is gone. Friends, it's at that moment, as God's covenantal name is said, that the sun breaks through those dark clouds. As he wrestles with his dark thoughts, they are met with a bursting light of stream. He looks up and he sees the light. In that moment, he remembers God. He remembers God's character. He remembers God's love. He says, yet, yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Did you notice that key word in verse 21? That pivotal point of transitioning away from darkness and into light? That small word, yet? I mentioned some months ago when we were doing a topical sermon in the Psalms of Lament. The Psalms will pivot from despair to hope by those small words, but or yet. That in those moments the psalmist will move away from wrestling with his despair to wrestling with God's promises. And that's what lament is. Mark Rogob helpfully defines lament as this, the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promises of God's goodness. Now, this is why we have the book of Lamentations. In these chapters are the words that tell us how to wrestle with the pain that we are going through, but simultaneously wrestling with the promises of God, knowing that God is good. And our afflicted man wrestles. He's dealing with despair and the promises of God. And this all started when he said God's covenantal name. From avoiding God, feeling distant from Him, he has suddenly been brought near. And with the declaration of God's covenantal name, the afflicted man remembers the Lord's covenantal promises. And the first thing that comes to mind is God's steadfast love. Look what he says. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. 
Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Doing this series in Lamentations, many have told me they have never heard a series on Lamentations before. Uh, the reasons for this is, it's a hard book. And many preachers can go throughout their whole ministry, never touching this book. It's a hard book to preach from. It's a depressing book to preach from. However, some may hear and say, I've heard a sermon in Lamentations before. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's great mercy, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. On these verses on their own, they almost paint a picture of a cottage tucked between two mountains. Pastures, a stream of flowing water. It's a peaceful and happy scene. Even Colin Buchanan, as he sings on these two verses, sings an uplifting and joyful song. But what we have here is not a small cottage surrounded by pastures and streams of water. It's not a song of praise. It's not an uplifting and joyful song. Friends, what has happened to Jerusalem? Jerusalem has been destroyed. Her walls have come down. The temple is in ruins. And God has departed from His people. His mighty right hand has been against them. He has punished them for their sins. He has judged His people and He has destroyed them. Jews have gone into exile. Many have died. Few survivors remain. And in, in this description in the background, not a small cottage by streams of water, but destruction and death that our afflicted man says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What these verses are telling us to do is a heart orientation. To not look at the barren landscape, but to look up. To see light and hope that can be found in God. That despite the affliction that God has poured out against His people, God is still there. He still loves His people. He shows that because He has not consumed them all. The narrative before us is telling us not just to wrestle with the despair you're going through, but to also wrestle with God's goodness, with God's promises. Friends, we are told here to look up. Look up and cast your eyes on Him. Not on the terrain around you, but to look up and look to God. In our world, we will experience a variety of natural disasters a variety of illnesses. We'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. And on a, personal on a personal level, we'll be taken through our own battles. Our business going under. A loss of a loved one due to illness. A horrible accident that took the life of a child. The emotional turmoil of a broken relationship. And here we are told in the midst of our despair, whatever it is, as we are tossed to and fro by the waves of our anguish and heartbreak, we are told to look up. 
Look up and anchor your soul to God. Anchor your soul to His character, to His promises. And here in Lamentations 3, we are told of four ways to anchor our soul to God, to find hope and comfort in His promises and His character. And the first one is God's love. Look with me at verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, uh, this great love is God's covenantal love. It's the Hebrew word hesed, that God will love us according to His promises. I don't know about you, but I find that so comforting. That I'm loved by God not based on my promises, my goodness, but loved by God based on His promises and His goodness. I'm loved by His grace. We are loved by His grace. Though we are unfaithful, God is faithful. And the second thing we are told to rely on is God's sovereignty in verses 24 and 27. Let me read 25 and 27 for us. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. These verses teach us to humbly place our trust in the Lord, to wait on Him, to trust in His sovereignty. Mark Rogope, when speaking on these verses, says, Why is waiting so difficult? Because it feels as if we're not doing anything. And that's the point. You're not doing anything. But God is. However, waiting is one of the greatest applications of the Christian faith. You are putting your trust in God, placing your hope in Him, and expressing confidence that He is in control. I had James 5 as our New Testament reading, because in James 5 we are told in the face of suffering to be patient. James, as he speaks to the reader, is telling them in the midst of violence, in the midst of oppression, we need to have an active waiting trust on the Lord. For the Lord will bring about justice in His own time. And, some, and this sometimes will happen at His return. And friends, to wait on the Lord is a good thing. I know it can be a hard thing, but during those hard times, He will grow you and He will remind you that He is in control, that He is sovereign. And the third is, thing that we are told here is God has a plan. Look at verses 31 and 32. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though He brings grief, He will show compassion. So great is His unfailing love. Though God's people may find themselves separated from God, though God's people may say, How long, Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you forget me? God's people will never be cast off. Because in His love, He will bring them out of darkness. And as the book of James reminded us, sometimes this will happen, and sometimes we will have to wait, ultimately, until the Lord Jesus returns. Lament brings us to God's covenantal love, and sometimes that covenantal love needs to be fixed on eternity. And the last thing we are told is remember God's goodness. Look at verse 33. For He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Friends, we need to remember that the destruction of Jerusalem was a response to the nation's sin. And all suffering is a response to sin. And God did not create sin. 
He is not the author of sin. But God is the one who provides a way out of the suffering caused by sin. And he does this through Jesus. Through Jesus on the cross, the punishment of sin was paid for. In the resurrection, Jesus gives life to those who are united to him. Eternal life. God is good. God is just. And God is love. It is through being anchored to God, His character and His promises, having seen the light, having been given hope, that our afflicted man has been picked up, picked up out of the depths of despair. And He is brought to a place where He can move forward, a place no longer focusing on Himself, but now directing His life in accordance with God at the center. Holding on to God rather than His despair. And this leads us to our third point. Point three, the afflicted man holds fast. From verse 40 to 66, we see our afflicted man holding fast to God, doing two things. First, calling the community of Israel to come together in corporate confession. And then second, petitioning the Lord to enact justice on their enemies. In verses 40 to 48, we see an exhortation from our afflicted man calling the nation to repent. Notice the shift of language in these verses. It's no longer being said merely as an individual, but now as a collective. Let us examine our ways and test them. Let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have sinned and rebelled. Our afflicted man longs for the survivors to acknowledge that God had, yes, destroyed them. But this this destruction was a result of their disobedience, of their sin. So there is a call to repent and a call to turn to the Lord. Having been himself reminded about who God is and his character, it has led our afflicted man to confession And knowing that this was communal sin that had caused this, that he rallies the survivors to come to God in corporate confession. Our remembering God's character should always lead us towards confession. Many of us would be familiar with the Acts formula for prayer. What is it? Adoration? Confession? Thanksgiving? and supplication. And supplication is just a big word meaning plea or request. Uh, The reason why confession follows from adoration is because as we attribute praise to God in accordance with His character, it makes us realize that God is God and we are not. And so our response should be in seeing God's character should be confession. As our afflicted man recalls God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, his justice, his mercy, recalls that God is good, having been reminded of who God is, he realizes he must repent. And not just him, but all of Jerusalem. To confess their sins that have led Jerusalem to their destruction. He longs for Jerusalem to be right with God. And this will only come about through confession, a turning away from sin and a turning to God. 
And the second way that our afflicted man holds fast to God is depending on God that he will be just. So in verses 49 to 66, we see our afflicted man petitioning God to bring about justice upon his enemies. That those who had caused this this destruction would receive the same destruction as they did. Ultimately, what our afflicted man is asking for is that Babylon would be destroyed by the hand of God. So often we can find it hard reading some of these verses. And I think especially of the imprecatory Psalms. I think of Psalm 137 in verses 7 to 9, which reads, Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. But as we realize what our afflicted man is asking for, when we realize what the Jews are asking for, it's only the same thing that has befallen them against the Lord's hand. So there they are asking for justice in accordance to what they have experienced. And justice will be made against Babylon. In Jeremiah 50, Jeremiah spoke about Babylon's destruction, a destruction that would leave Babylon in ruins. And we see the fall of Babylon in Daniel 6, that they were conquered by the Persians. However, although justice was brought upon Babylon, things were still not right. Things were still not right in Jerusalem. This is because the ultimate answer to grief is not justice. Let me say that again. The the ultimate answer to grief is not justice. The answer we long for ultimately in response to grief is is what we've looked about in previous weeks. Uh, It's restoration. As you and I live in a fallen world, as we grieve at the brokenness we see around us, we need and to long for restoration. That is what we need to ultimately hold fast to. We need to hold fast to the promise of God that He will come and He will restore all things. And that restoration will come in the Lord Jesus when He defeats sin fully and finally. When there will be no more suffering, no more pain. James 5, our New Testament passage, told us to preserve, to be patient for the Lord's return. That in the midst of suffering, we are told to be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So, brothers and sisters, an example of patience, we are told to look to the prophets. Look at their experiences, how they depended on God, how they anchored their soul, their lives upon God, His character, and His promises. And Lamentation 3 reminds us that in the midst of our waiting, we are not to look at the disaster around us, focus in on the turmoil that we're going through inside. We are told ultimately to look up, to look to God, to look at that warm source of light, the hope that is stored for us in heaven. We are to look to Jesus at the work He has done for us, the work that He is doing for us now, and the work He will do for us when He returns. And as we wait till that day, till our Lord Jesus returns, we are reminded here from our passage to anchor our soul to God, to His character, to His promises to know that He loves His people, 
to know that He is sovereign, to rest in the promise that suffering is not the end, that He has a plan, and to remember that God is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks that your steadfast love never ceases, that your mercies are new every morning, that in the midst of dark times, in the midst of our griefs and despair, you are there. Father, I pray for those in our midst who may be struggling right now, and I pray, Lord, that in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of our struggles, that we will be comforted by your character and your promises. Father, I pray in all seasons of life, whether we see the brokenness of our world or whether we're feeling broken within our soul, that we will look to Jesus, our hope and our Redeemer. And we pray, Holy Spirit, help us to cast our eyes on Jesus, for He is our hope and our strength in all circumstances. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Thanks, musicians.